take the cup. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood. We remind ourselves of what you did on the cross. It was the necessary sacrifice to bring us back to God. So we thank you for what you have done. You've done it all. You paid it all. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, go ahead and take the cup. Amen. Yes, you may. Iris has got something to say. You know, God lets us start over and over and over. Because when he died, he didn't just die for Pastor or for Tim. He died for everyone. And my spirit is feeling a sadness. He's letting me know there's someone sitting here that feels like they're not enough. Like all they do is sin. But I got some news for you. Did you listen to all the words that we sang, that we lifted up to him today? He already knows the mistakes you've made and the mistakes you're going to continue to make. He's not interested in that. He's interested in that you love him. So every time that little fear starts creeping in about, I'm such a sinner, I'm not good enough, God jumps over me, he bypasses me. That is a lie. So if anybody needs to recommit and give themselves one more time for their self, because God already accepted you, but if you need to do it one more time, see Pastor, see Tim, see me, see anybody, see one of the kids. <laughs> we'll stand there with you and recommit one more time because you are more than enough. Why? He loved you so much. He came down and died for you. Amen. Amen. Yep. <gasps> And this is what we're talking about today. Um, I, I had one more thing that I, on my heart that I wanted to say. Is it okay for the teenagers to hear? You know, I'll, I'll speak into your life before you, before you go in there and have Tim speak into your life as well. Um, you may have noticed that you have, during worship, you have lots of up and downs. Ups and downs and ups and downs. Well, there are times when God puts a burden on you and you feel this grief in your heart the same way as as Ira said, she feels grief for somebody. It's because the Holy Spirit feels grief for whoever it is that needs it at the time. So you're praying. And as you pour out your heart to God in worship, you will notice that there are many ups and downs like that. And it's not because God has changed, and it's not because you've changed, but it's what's a, what is appropriate for the time. What's appropriate for the moment? You know, because you notice that he moves you in and out. Okay, and it's for a purpose, you know, so don't be afraid, you know, when you start to seek God and this and powerful emotion comes over you, you know, because that's just a that's just a bodily response to the presence of God. You understand, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I've seen people I've seen people walk into a worship service and I mean, right when. The Holy Spirit's moving, it's, it's, and it's powerful. He's always moving. But when he's moving in such a way that people can sense him, I've seen them walk in, and it's like they, they sense that 
presence of God and it scares them. I'm talking about people who don't understand, who don't, you know, who don't know. And that, that, that emotion that arises as a result of that spiritual response to God can scare them and they, they run out. Well, you know, God told me one time, you need to learn to be comfortable in my presence. He meant in all, you know, all, um, I say, colors of his presence, if you will, tones of his presence. Amen. Okay, so that was just a thought I had while we were doing that. So, okay, th- thank you, Becky. And, well, that was awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I'm up, I'm, I'm up here in tears. Well, that's just an emotional response, you know. It's like once we're past that, wipe the tears off and move on, you know. So that's it. Um, thank you guys so much. Well, that just had a, a really refreshing, refre- refreshing effect on me. That was awesome. So again, thank you guys for worshiping with me. Um, I'm going to let you know that uh, I've asked Bill to teach this coming Sunday. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that word. You know, I mean, the people at home will finally get a chance to see the face that is behind the camera. You know, usually he's, usually he's you know, behind the camera, but he will be here. And I'll still be here, I'll, I'll lead worship, and, and, um, but I uh, just felt in my heart it was that, that, uh, to, to ask him to do that. I had actually, I actually asked him to speak on forgiveness because I had had forgiveness on my heart for a long time, but every time I tried to sit down and write about it, it just deluded me, and so came to the conclusion in my heart, you know, you don't, 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 don't move on something until you feel a peace in your heart to do it, you know, but I felt a peace in my heart. It's probably not for me to, to be the one to teach on this. In other words, it's probably a perspective that he can offer that God's trying to get across. Okay, so that's, you know, that's a little peek behind the curtain, if you will. Um, let us, let me ask for God's help. Let's pray real quick. Lord, ask for your help as I get ready to bring this word out. And so many things that have already happened in service today have been pointing directly to this. And this has been pointing directly to that. And um, in, in hindsight, we'll see that. And so, you know, I pray, Lord, you, you help us to keep all these things before our heart, um, before our eyes, uh, because they strengthen one another and they affirm one another and bear witness to each other. And so, you know, the, the emotional side and then also the letter of the law side, you know, um, both, both of them um, are enfolded together. And so we thank you, Father. I pray for your help as, as we bring this out again. I pray for your grace to bring this word. And I thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so let's open our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 7. This will probably be a relatively short message. Um, we are going to dig a little deep. And I think that, you know, the shortness of it will probably help us with that, you know. If you're going to eat a steak, sometimes it's like, let's just eat a small steak. Because it's a really, really thick steak, right? For those of you who eat steak. My kids laugh at me. I only have steak like once a year. I'm like, I feel like a steak. And they're like, really? It's like, yeah, my yearly steak. Okay. So the title of today's message is A New Beginning. Which I felt in my heart is appropriate, what with this being the first Sunday of the year. Um... You know me, I'm not, I'm not one to say, okay, let's just preach seasonally on, on things that come out, but um, I did feel that 
this was important to talk about. All over social media, we see people excited about the new year because 2020 was so long and difficult. And, you know, yeah, that's, that's kind of the same. I've seen that all over. Good riddance, you know. Um, if you think about it, this idea of new beginnings that's floating around right now, even in unbelievers, can be a powerful witnessing tool. Jesus gives new life. Not only to our spirit, but also to our situations, our jobs, our relationships. He can and does breathe new life into dreams that are dead. And if an opportunity presents itself for you to talk to someone about these things, remember that you don't have to have all the answers. Your purpose is simply to be a witness of what Jesus has done in your life. No one can refute that. The only way they can... They could brush it aside and call you a liar or they can call you delusional or whatever, but you can say, no, I know that this happened to me. I know that God did this for me. You can say, I, I thought my marriage was over, but God turned it around. Help me turn it around. It was looking like I wasn't going to have a car to get to work, but God provided unexpectedly out of left field. All of a sudden, there was a way. Whatever God has done for you personally is a sign to others that God can make things new in their life. And I know that you all know this, but we're just reaffirming some things. And of course, you know, we don't we don't come to Jesus and, and a lot of people a lot of people out in the world don't understand this, but we can't expect them to. They're they're just they're just stepping into an understanding of God, you know, when you start to talk to them. It's like my dad once told me when I was learning to paint, he said, I have to assume that you know nothing. I'm like Okay, he said, so I'm going to start to instruct you, and then we'll see what you know. You know, and so maybe some people out there who are unbelievers, maybe they do know some things about God. Maybe some of the things they know about God are not right. You know, and so we, we're patient with them, but they, they, they don't understand this, that we don't come to Jesus. A lot of them don't understand this idea, but that we don't come to Jesus just because of short-term things like physical healing or money to pay the rent, or clothes to wear, or whatever they happen to need at the time. You know, a lot of times people come to God for their needs, and then when he meets their needs, they haven't been taught that, no, it's not about the temporary things. It's about God. It's about him forever. The most important thing is salvation. You know, where once I was going to hell, now I'm going to heaven. I used to be alone. But now I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ. I'm never alone. I want certain evangelists make the statement, Jesus Christ saving a person is the greatest miracle God does. It's a greater miracle than opening the eyes of the blind, making the lame walk. It's greater even than walking on water. Because it is, God's take, it is God taking a person's dead lifeless spirit and bringing it out of death and into life. A dead spirit being made into a live spirit is the greatest miracle God does. And he's doing it every day across this earth. (laughs) You remember a little while back when we were talking about God's kingdom on earth and how salvation is actually protection for the believer. Because if our physical body dies, our spirit lives on in the direct presence of our Father. You're a miracle that just keeps going. See, salvation is God's greatest miracle. If, if you've said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, 
you believe that God has raised him from the dead, that is one part of who you are in Christ. There are many other parts of who you are in Christ, but that's one part. That's the central part. A new beginning that will last forever. And we'll see an example of that here in Acts 7. We're going to start with the first martyr in church history. We won't read the whole thing because it's very long, but his name was Stephen. He was doing, he was full of the Holy Spirit. Um, in other words, he was a person who was keeping himself full of the Holy Spirit. And he was doing many signs and wonders um, in Jesus' name. And so some people got jealous and falsely accused him of blaspheming God, and they got him arrested. And I think it's so interesting, you know, because he probably could have defended I mean, it was a false accusation, so the, they wouldn't have been able to... It's the same as what happened to Jesus. It was a false accusation when he was standing on trial, and he didn't try to defend himself because he came for the purpose of being crucified, of dying for our sins. So it's like, could he have talked his way out of it? Of course, but he chose not to. And it's the same with Stephen. He really could have talked his way out of it, but instead of defending himself, he, he began to remind the Jewish leaders of their history with God of how they hadn't listened to God, and then he held them accountable for the part that they played in Jesus being crucified. He didn't, give, he didn't, he didn't say, you, you, you know, it's all your fault and God's angry with you forever, but he did hold them accountable and say, you played a part in this. Okay, so, so now let's look to the end of chapter 7, down at verse 54. It says, when they heard these things, this is the counsel that, that Stephen is talking to, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. That will always happen when God's word is preached. And, someone, and then people have a decision to make. You, you will see them react in all different ways. In this case, they reacted negatively. So it says, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. That's a hard heart. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. (laughs) Who does this? You know, Lord, they're stoning me. They're picking up stones and they're throwing them at me until I, and, and killing me. But don't charge them with that. I forgive them. Who does that? This is a man who is completely surrendered to God's heart. That's what this looks like, being completely surrendered to God's heart. When my teachers made the comment later on, or that later on the word says that after Jesus finished the work of the cross, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, rose from the dead, sat down at the right hand of the Father. Here it says that Stephen was being stoned, and as he was being stoned, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. So Stephen's witness for Jesus was so faithful that Jesus gave Stephen a standing ovation. (laughs) I like that. Sometimes our teachers see things that are really helpful to us. All right, someone might say, well, I thought we were talking about a new beginning, and here we just read where someone died for their faith. Really, there are, there are two beginnings out of this story. Okay, firstly, Stephen died physically, but he is alive forevermore with Jesus, where Jesus is. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. 
That's where Stephen is now. So in that sense, that's a, that, this was just a new beginning for Stephen in that sense. But then we also have this young man named Saul who was present when Stephen was martyred. Verse 58 mentioned that the people who were stoning Stephen were laying their feet, or laying their feet, laying their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So in other words, Saul himself wasn't stoning Stephen, but he was guarding the coats of the ones who were. You know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll watch your stuff. Go ahead, get him, get him, you know. And so you look here at the beginning of verse, of, of, uh, or the beginning of chapter 8, verse 1, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's like in case you missed it, he, he was consenting with his death, you know. And uh, it says, at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him, that songs of mourning. See, there's a time to mourn. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Okay, now from here, if we were to read on, we'd see that there's a lot more details about what happened to other parts of the church, which is all good, but that's not our focus. So let's go ahead and skip over to chapter 9. All right, verse, verse 1 in chapter 9. So we're going to continue with Saul's story here. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's any Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then the NLT explains that. It's hard, Jesus said, It's hard for you to fight against my will. Okay, now verse 6. So he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, so this is not a common salvation experience. <laughs> Some ask, well, why doesn't Jesus appear to to people like that now? Well, it does happen. There are people nowadays who have this type of testimony, this type of experience, but it's not the norm. And in Saul's case, I believe the reason Jesus did this was because Saul genuinely thought he was trying to put a stop to something bad. Paul talks about that. I was zealous for God. Later on, he talks about it. I was zealous for the God of my ancestors. You know, he thought the church was bad. Deception is a powerful thing. He was deceived. Deception can move people in the exact opposite direction of where they're trying to get to. For, for instance, okay, say, say that I'm deceived about the subject of lying, and a lot of people are. A lot of people, I mean, this is a debate that goes on even in the church. Well, is, is all lying bad? Is it always wrong to lie? Is it wrong to lie to save someone's life? We t- I talked about this with the kids one time. Well, that's a difficult question. They brought it up one time, and they genuinely want to know. 
you know, because they see it in movies and television and things like that. And so, you know, uh, the question came up, and uh, actually they asked Tammy, and she said, and she just kind of kind of camped on it, and I camped on it, and we didn't really answer. It was like, well, just wait on that, you know, don't, don't feel like I have an answer yet. And the answer actually came uh, when we were reading the word later on, and uh, I said, do you guys remember when you asked the question, is it always, always wrong to lie? And they said, yeah, and, and because in my heart, I heard these words, Jesus didn't have to lie to save the world. Okay, so that's God's answer to that. You know, so it's like, is all lying bad? Well, yeah, in God's eyes it is. All lies are a perversion of the truth. And so, and really a lot of sin stems from that. Because if I'm deceived, again, about lying, say I'm like, okay, well, I can tell a white lie to spare someone's feelings, or I can, if I tell a lie to save someone's life, all right? So, so say that I'm deceived about that, all right? I'm going to, but, but, but I'm trying to please God, and yet I'm walking this path where I lie occasionally, that's taking, me, that's taking me the opposite direction of where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get to God. I'm trying to please God, but I, yet I'm over here doing this. Because there's lots of people that will say, okay, well, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, there's lots of compromises nowadays. People talk about, well, the Bible's antiquated, so, you know, not all sin, you know, not everything that says is sin is wrong and blah, blah, blah. Well, if God explicitly says it's sin, then I'm going to have to agree with him. So, because otherwise I'll be deceived and I'll end up like Saul here, you know. So Saul is trying to please God, okay, and, and he, but he's, he's being pulled in a different direction. And, he, he, and on the other side, in the natural, okay, he's, he's, got, he's in possession of everything that the world holds dear. You know, he's got the best education. He's got the best credentials. He, he's a member of the Pharisees, a rising star. You know, he had this zeal for God. And he came from a good family. And, I mean, he was educated you know, under one of the, high, the, the, the most revered teachers and everything. You know, I mean, he would be impressive, an oppressive person. You know, he just didn't understand that the church was established by God, so he's trying to snuff it out. You know, and, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead, and say, so let, let's just, you know, apply some, some you know, take, take a look and look at how Paul arrived at this, or Saul arrived at this decision. He's also called Paul. But the Bible says he's Saul, but also called Paul. So to, to see how he came to this conclusion that the church must be snuffed out after Jesus rose from the dead, he, told, he tells the church, go spread the good news. So Saul heard the good news, along with many other people, and was offended by it. It's obvious. And so the good news then skewed on his radar as blasphemy. This is blasphemy. I'm going to have to do everything I can to stop this. And so he believes he's actually doing God a favor by trying to snuff out the church. Remember in John chapter 16, Jesus said those exact words. He said, those who persecute you will think they're doing God a favor. And right on cue, here's Saul fulfilling that prophecy Jesus gave. But again, I believe that Jesus appears to Saul simply because Saul genuinely wants to serve God. Because most of the people we see in Scripture who persecute the church are doing it either out of envy or hatred. Saul's persecuting the church out of a desire to please God. So Jesus corrects him. Okay? First, Jesus appears to Saul in what we call his glorified state. It's the same as the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus' face became as bright as the light. 
It says a light shone down around him. Well, that's Jesus himself. That light radiating from Jesus. So this is, this is the same thing that Saul is encountering as, as we saw at the transfiguration on the mount. Jesus is appearing as he truly is. The glorified son of God. I think in that moment, if I were Saul, I'd be thinking, maybe I've made a mistake. You know? And I love how he doesn't even answer the question because, you see, Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? It's like, uh-oh. And, he, Paul, and, and Saul doesn't even answer the question. He, he just says, who are you, Lord? <laughs> who are you? And, you know, Jesus answers, well, yeah, I'm, I'm Jesus. But Jesus redirects him back. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It's like, no, no, we're not going to change the subject. Okay. It's a great reminder to Saul that, yes, it was a mistake to attack the church. Now, and, and as we, we talk about this principle a lot, how we identify with Christ. It's important that we do that. I identify with Christ. He bought me with his blood. He purchased me. I identify with him. But sometimes we forget that Jesus identifies with us as well. Jesus said, he, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? He was, but that's not what he said. He, he didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? Or even, why are you persecuting my sons and daughters? He said, why are you persecuting me? It's amazing to me that Jesus takes it personally when his people are persecuted. I mean, we see persecution in the earth and we're like, why isn't God doing anything about it? God, Jesus did something about it right here. See, he deals with people on a personal level. You know, so we're like, there's all this persecution going on. God, why aren't you doing anything? God takes it personally. They're persecuting me. I mean, you know, think back in the Old Testament when Moses was taking care of God's people and they, they're complaining to Moses and, God, and he went to God, Moses went to God and said, if this is the way you're going to treat me, just kill me. You know, that I, have to, that I have to deal with these people. And God said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. So when Jesus does this, when Jesus identifies, when Jesus tells Saul, you're persecuting me, I think that that's just one of the many things that Saul would notice that tells him that Jesus is someone to be followed. Wow, this is a leader who identifies so close with his people that he's willing to say, no, you're not persecuting them, you're persecuting me. Because the next words that Paul, that, that Paul says, he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? You see that yield, yielding. What, now I understand. Jesus says, it's hard for you to fight against my will. In other words, he's saying, my will in this earth is the church. You've been trying to snuff it out, but this is my will. If you want to please me, don't try to snuff this out. And so Paul, there's this immediate yielding. Now Paul's like, now I get it. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Starting at that moment and for the rest of his life, Jesus is now Saul's Lord. It's a new beginning. And you know, that would be a really good stopping point for today if we hadn't just started talking about all this. So we're going to go on. <laughs> because I know that you're anxious to find out what happens to Saul next. So let's continue down in verse 10. It says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. See the theme of Jesus' name popping up again and again. It's by, that's that, that name by which we're saved. You bear his name. He has stamped you with his name. This one's mine. <laughs> Verse 15, or not 15, 16, sorry. Jesus says, For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, he has sent me, has sent me, uh, well, I messed that up, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. A lot of people talk about, what do the scales mean? Eh, you know, I mean, it probably has some meaning, but don't, don't get caught up on that and miss the big picture. He received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ, or the anointed. <laughs> wow. That's a complete turnaround. And it's not just because Saul was special, had a call on his life. It's because he chose to follow the call that Jesus gave him. And again, you know, we mentioned that, that, that here they're referring to him as Saul. Well, it says, if you read on later in Acts, it says Saul also called Paul, which would have been the Greek version of his name because at that time he was ministering among the Gentiles. So it, 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 he's the one who wrote almost two-thirds of this New Testament. And, and I mean, to me, it's, that's, a, that's such a... Like Iris was talking about, people get, they get caught up in the guilt of sin. And, and it's like they just feel like they're spinning their wheels and I get, you know, I get right with God, but then I go back right to what I was doing before. Well, and, and they think, and they look at people like Paul and they're like, I could never do that. Sure you can. It's a choice of the will. Paul just chose, I'm not going to turn to the right hand, I'm not going to turn to the left hand, I'm going to do what Jesus said to do. Okay. Let's take a look at some of the things that Paul wrote about this uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit told him, write it down, so he did. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In case you don't know where 2 Corinthians is, it's right after 1 Corinthians. Da, da, da. I mean, God didn't call me to be a comedian. All right. 
Look down at verse 17 with me here in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, or for this reason, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So if you are in Christ, you're brand new. (laughs) Welcome to your new life in Christ. Next step then is to share our faith with others so that they can be new as well. That's what we saw Paul do. Now verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, the service of reconciling people is what he's saying with God. Verse 19, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. This is part of that guilt issue, you know, that guilt Sin of, that guilt of sin that we were talking about, where people feel so guilty for the sins they've done. God does not impute that. What God is going to do on Judgment Day is he's going to ask people, I mean, the record of their life will be presented by Satan. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. He'll say, they did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. I've been keeping tabs on them all their life. God's going to say, what did you do with my son, Jesus? He's not imputing their... Tra- the only sin that people will go to hell for is not accepting Christ. Okay, So God is not imputing their trespasses to them and, and, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. It's our job, the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Amen. That's a lot to take in. A lot. But it's all part of that miracle that took place in you when you accepted Jesus and God brought your dead spirit back to life. It's all rolled into that. You know, you have been reconciled to God and now he wants you to work getting others reconciled. We've been talking about this a lot. And I believe that it's not just, it's not like I'm, I don't feel like I'm like, get out there, witness, 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 witness. Is that what I'm saying? Because, as, because God, I'm preaching this word to the body of Christ. The word is being preached to the body. Not only here, but all over. I'm just being obedient to what I feel God is speaking to the church at large. Okay? I know that you all understand these things, but there's always that another layer of truth that God pulls back, and you're like, wow. I want to keep being amazed by God. So he wants us to work at this, do the work of an evangelist. So that like us, they can walk in newness of life. Romans 6.4 talks about that, walking in newness of life, walking in it. Staying in newness of life, because it's possible to go back, staying in it. So one last scripture before we close. How are we all doing with this, by the way? We okay? All right. So turn a couple books forward to Ephesians chapter 2. There's only one Ephesians, so I can't make that joke again. Ephesians chapter 4. Chapter 4 is right after, verse, uh, right after chapter 3. <laughs> I amuse myself. Okay, now, fair warning. We're going to do some serious, we're going to do some serious reading here, okay? <laughs> I say laughing. It's going to be serious, okay? It's going to be really serious. 
All right. But I figure that you can handle it since we're closing right after this. So take a deep breath and say, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, that's what I like to hear. Ephesians 4. And we're going to start at verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, that's that deception we talked about, being alienated from the life of God. Don't want to be alienated from that. Don't want to be alienated from his life. Being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I brought us here to remind us all, myself included, that once God has made us new in Christ, that then there is something for us to do. Paul said here that we have two different natures, the old man and the new man. The old man has the sin nature and still desires to give in to sin. Is it it not true that all of us here have that part of us that still wants to do what we know is wrong? I I have one hand, thank you. I have two hands. I mean, it's true, it's true, all of us. That's the old man talking. Okay, that's the old man. That's the old, that's the old manner of life trying to sneak back in. Trying to, come on, just do this. No one's watching. All the cool kids are doing it, right? Right? Okay. Now, the word says here that the old man grows corrupt. Grows corrupt. That's a gradual thing. It's a slow fade. There's a. I don't know, I may have, may have mentioned this in the past, but there's that song, that song from Casting Crowns, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. At first, everything seems okay. Well, I did that, and I seem okay. I feel like I'm still close to God. But it, it, it's a corruption that grows. You know, that's why Paul said, put the old man off. Put him off. Put him off. He grows corrupt. Instead, put on the new man, which was created according to God. And you might say, okay, I get that the old man is the old me before Jesus. You know, when, when did God create this new man? You know, couldn't have been at the beginning. So when did God create this new man? He created that new man the instant you accepted Jesus Christ. That's that recreated spirit in you. It was dead, now it's alive. Okay, in that split second, God gave you a new nature He gave you a new place to respond from when temptation comes into your life. I can respond from my new nature now, which is to say, I have the power that I have, or I've been empowered by Christ to say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. No. Sorry, the answer is no. (laughs) You know. 
You have been equipped by God. I'm going to put this a different way. You've been equipped by God to live life in a totally new way. It's part of that miracle God did in you. Okay? And, and you know, I mean, Iris talked about rededication earlier. I'm going to do the same thing again. I already had it in here. This is what we call confirmation, by the way. <laughs> I think it's funny, you know, people say, I've heard people say, you know, every time I go to church, it's like the pastor is just, talk, just you know, laying into me. He let, he, uh, this happens with all of us. The Holy Spirit is, the reason is, is because when someone walks into the church with a need, okay, they have a need in their life, God tries to meet that need. And so we feel singled out, but that's not what God's trying to do. He's trying to meet a need. I need salvation in my life. So God, you know, he just might make that public because it's more important that salvation is in my life than for me to feel embarrassed in front of a bunch of people. So then if you want this, if, if, you're, if you're watching this and you're not, you know, it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't know how to get saved. Well, I mean, we talk about it a lot, but, you know, I mean, if you say out loud, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you're saved. I mean, that's, that's, that's what Paul wrote in, in Romans 10.9. And, you know, just to bring this full circle, okay, because that's what Paul wrote to, to, to instruct us. This is how you do this. To be saved, to become gods. This is how you do this. We just read the Damascus Road. That's exactly what happened to Paul. That's exactly what happened to him. You know, Jesus appeared to him and he said, Who are you, Lord? And then Jesus said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. And he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He called him Lord. Your Lord. I recognize. And then, you know, the second part, believe that he's raised him from the dead. What, what, did, what did Paul preach until his dying days? Jesus is the risen son of God. <laughs> his entire life just resonates. With, it's, it's, that, it's that constant witness everywhere he goes that he is saved. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. See, it, it's more than just a one-time confession. It's the first confession you make. Amen. So then he spends his entire life doing this, and, and this is just his life is an example. Any of us can do this. You know, a new beginning. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. You didn't have to do it, Lord. We were going down, and you chose to reach down and give us a lifeline. And so we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Father God, that as we all go out, that you help us to keep what is important before our eyes, to remind ourselves that you are constantly calling us to a deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with you. So, Lord, I pray again for opportunities to, to be presented to us, Lord, to, to minister to people, to minister reconciliation, to be a witness for Christ, to, uh, to have our life resonate. Yes, Jesus is Lord. God has raised him from the dead. I pray that you protect everyone here, that you bless everyone here. Get them home safely. Get them back safely, Lord. Thank you so much. I praise you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen. Okay, I think, you know, you're dismissed. I think that, I think that everyone kind of had a work over, but if there's any, any other, anything else you need for prayer, you know, seek us out. Amen. Amen.